Some years ago, I remember walking into the, the front door of our house, into the living room area of our home, and I smelled something really good. Um, I can't always tell what I'm smelling because <laughs> I have a limited sense of being able to detect such things through my nose. But it wasn't dinner. And I said, what's the good smell? As I looked at my wife. And she said, let me give you a hint. Forest. I said, evergreens. Evergreen trees. But why am I smelling evergreen trees here in our house? And Sakiko said, I got some essential oils that are emitted through this diffuser, this essential oil diffuser, and so you're smelling the scent of the woods. I'm no expert when it comes to essential oils. I know there has been some limited research around their efficacy, but people have said, when I smell the essential oil of, say, lavender, if I've been in a time of anxiety and stress, I feel calm, I sense relaxation coming over me. When I smell citrus essential oils or coconut essential oils, uh, for some reason it takes me to the tropics in my imagination. And in the tropics, I feel happy or happier. Uh, there have been some studies that give evidence that oregano essential oil can kill certain germs. To look at another kind of oil, omega-3 oils, there has been uh, some research that associates omega-3 oils with better heart functioning, better brain functioning. Oils, in many cases, are associated with wellness and wholeness and health. We're currently in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit as anointing oil. Anointing oil that sets us apart for God. Anointing oil that brings us power for service, that brings us comfort and wholeness. And even in the midst of difficulty can offer us solace and gladness as well. The first time we see the word oil mentioned in the scriptures is in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is asleep. He's using a stone as a pillow and while sleeping meets God. He meets God through a dream. He wakes up, he realizes that God has been with him. And so he takes precious oil, pours it over the stone that he has been sleeping on and sets that stone apart for God through the oil. When a person is set apart for service in scripture, they are often anointed with oil. David was a young person, a lowly shepherd, the youngest of his brothers. He was from an ordinary, that is non-royal, non-aristocratic family. But when God chose him to serve as king, we read in 1 Samuel 16, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And so in ancient times, kings were anointed. And in 
modern times, kings are sometimes also anointed with oil to be set apart for service. When Charles was coronated king last month, he was anointed with oil from the Mount of Olives, the Holy Lands. And before the anointing actually happened, he was placed behind the shield that you see. And in a private ceremony, the Archbishop of Canterbury read these words. Thy prophets of old anointed priests and kings to serve in thy name and in the fullness of time. Thine only son was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Christ, the Savior and servant of all. By the power of the same Spirit, Grant that this holy oil may be for thy servant Charles a sign of joy and gladness, that as king he may know the abundance of thy grace and the power of thy mercy. And then the archbishop poured this oil over Charles, anointing him for his service as king. Back to the Bible, in the book of Exodus, we see that God called Moses to set aside oil, to pour oil over his brother Aaron and his sons, Aaron's sons, to consecrate them as priests. We also read in scripture, in Hebrews, that God anointed his son Jesus with the oil of the Spirit. We read in Hebrews 1.9, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of of joy. And Jesus began his ministry by announcing famously, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And may the spirit of God anoint us and bring us all that we need in this time of grief, in this time of mourning, in this time where we also want to not only experience the comfort of God, but to offer that to others as well. We sometimes speak of Jesus as the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. We sometimes say Jesus, sometimes we say Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name like Shigematsu is my last name, or Zweigel is Ashling's last name. Christ is more of a title, and Christ means anointed one. And up until the time that Christ came into the world, from which time forward the Spirit came more fully into our world, the Holy Spirit was only offered to a select few, to kings, to priests, to prophets. But as Jesus came into the world, so the Holy Spirit came into the world in a fuller way through his life, through his works. Jesus would live and then die on a cross for our sins, removing that which acted as a barrier between us and God's presence. Jesus after dying on the cross for our sins was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father and then sent his Holy Spirit out to us. So as amazing as it may seem, 
God's spirit now is not just reserved for a select few, but for all of God's children, for all of his sons and daughters. In Acts 2, verse 17, we read, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so in these days, God is pouring out the oil of his spirit on all people, on sons and daughters. And as Max Lucado says, God doesn't distribute his spirit with an eyedropper or with a spoon, but God pours out his spirit on us. God douses us with his spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, John writes, you have an anointing. You who belong to God have an anointing of the Spirit from the Holy One. This means that you have been set apart for God. It means you have been given God's very presence, God's very life, God's oil. When people ask the question, if you could choose sometime in history to, to live and, 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 and to be with someone in particular, what era would you choose to live in? Who would you choose to meet? And of course, for me, the answer is I would choose to live in the time when Jesus was alive on earth, walking the ancient streets of Palestine. That would have been amazing. But Jesus said to his own disciples, it's actually better for you that I physically leave you. And we might ask, what could have been better for his followers than for Jesus to be physically present with him, where they could listen to him teach, where they could ask him questions directly, where they could see him work, where they could witness his miracles, his, his love and care for people. What could be better than that? Jesus' own spirit, the Holy Spirit, being bestowed on his people so that Jesus could be with them always. When Jesus was on earth as a human being, his presence was limited to one place at any one time. But when Jesus sent us his spirit, it meant that he could be with us always, everywhere, anywhere. And so we can affirm with the psalmist in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there also. And so the oil of God's presence, the oil of God's spirit isn't poured out just on a select few, not just on kings and priests and prophets, but it's being poured out on all people. It's been being poured out on us, God's daughters and sons for service, to know comfort and to know even solace and gladness in the midst of adversity. One of the first examples I had of the Spirit coming upon a person in, in a way that was vivid to my imagination and memorable uh, occurred as I was reading the biography. I was a new follower of Jesus and reading the biography of a man named Dwight Lyman Moody, also known as D.L. Moody. He had been a simple shoe salesman in Chicago in the 19th century. He was not formally educated. He experienced a call to become a pastor and then an evangelist telling others about Jesus. And Moody wrote that there were two women in his church 
that would come to the sanctuary each Friday afternoon and they would earnestly pray that Moody would receive an immersion or a baptism in the Holy Spirit. These women praying like this irritated Moody. They felt, what, don't they think that I'm enough? But Moody decided to join them in those prayers on those Friday afternoons. And then on November 24th, 1871, during the Great Chicago Fire, Moody's church building burned to the ground. And Moody found himself at a great loss, walking the streets of Chicago, desperate for a touch of the Spirit, feeling that his own ministry was so lifeless. And this is what he wrote in his journal. What a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask God to stay his hand, to hold back. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. Hundreds turned to Christ. And God offers us his spirit, the oil of his presence, so that we can make Christ known. It might be through our words or through our lives, through our actions and through our prayers. One of the first times I really sensed the anointing oil of the presence of the Holy Spirit was after my undergrad education, I was living and working in Japan for a secular corporation. I had not been to seminary, I had not been a pastor, but I was attending a small church in Northeast Tokyo of about 25 people on a Sunday morning, which is the typical size of a church in Japan. And I had a roommate who was also part of that church, who was a Christian, he was a prep school teacher. And I remember as Christmas rolled around during that first year of working in Japan, my roommate approached me in our apartment and said, Ken, what do you think about the idea of us organizing an outreach Christmas service. I could invite my students, you could invite people you work with. I said, I think it's a great idea. And, and then my roommate said, here's the deal, I'll organize it if you preach. As I said, I had not worked as a pastor, I had not been to seminary. And I said, give me one good reason why I should preach and not you. You're a teacher, you have far more public speaking experience than I do. And my roommate said, because you remind me of Robert Schuller. Robert Schuller was this um, really upbeat preacher in the 1980s and 1990s. His core message was, Jesus can make you the greatest possibility thinker in the world. His core message was, nothing is impossible. He was like Joel, the, the Joel Olstein of his day, very upbeat. When my roommate said, you remind me of Joel, uh, of, of, uh, uh, not Joel Olstein, um, uh, Robert Schuller, he meant it as a compliment. And then he said, besides, you'll look great preaching in a blue robe like Schuler does. <laughs> I'd never worn a blue robe up until that moment. Never worn a blue robe since. Um, about three days before our slated outreach service, my roommate sat me down on his couch in his room in our apartment. And he said, I want to tell you something. If any of my students come to this outreach, um, they're only coming to experience something of the sweet mood of Christmas. They've never been to church. So just give them the, the, the happy mood of Christmas. And then they look me in the eye, which is very unusual for a Japanese person. Very direct. 
in the culture and said, whatever you do, don't try and convert anyone. <laughs> so the evening, the Saturday night of our Christmas outreach rolls around. And I remember sitting there in my blue robe on our little stage and really thankful that about 55, mostly high school students, filled our small space. And I remember seeing them fidgeting and shifting in their seats. Clearly, they had never been to church before. They probably wouldn't come back. And a wave of fear swept over me as I thought, these students may be facing a life without any conscious presence of God and an eternity without God. And I thought, I'm going to have to answer to my roommate at the end of the night, but I'll have to answer to God at the end of my life. And so I began my message, and I sort of changed course. It was, not a, it was a bad sermon, um, but it went something like this. Growing up in Canada, I loved Christmas because I believed in Santa Claus and was anticipating my presence. I talked about white Christmases. I sort of exaggerated because we don't really have many white Christmases here in Vancouver. <laughs> and then I, I shifted. I, I transitioned. I said, some of you in two months' time will be facing what you think is the most important exam of your life, an exam that will determine where you go to university. And that exam will also determine your career and in this country, your life itself. I said, you think this is the most important exam of your life, but it's not going to be the most important exam of your existence. At the end of your life, you're going to stand before God and you'll be facing an exam as to whether that will determine whether or not you are admitted into a place called heaven. And in order to be admitted to heaven by God, you need to have a perfect score on your exam, a 100. You need to ace it. None of us had, have done that. And then I explained that that first Christmas, God became a human being in Jesus Christ. This is why Christmas is such a big deal. He lived a perfect life on our behalf. He died on a cross absorbing the punishment for all of our sins, shortcomings, and failures. And if we turn our life over to Christ, his perfect score, his perfect life, gets transferred to our transcript. And we are going to be admitted into heaven, and we will know a life with God through our experience on earth. I'd never done anything like this before, but I said, I want you now to bow your head and close your eyes. If you want to give your life to Christ right now, I want you to raise your hand. And out of 55 or so people, 15 people raised their hands. 15. I thought, oh no, this can't be happening. Not in Japan where missionaries have told me, pastors have told me that people almost never give their lives to Jesus. So I said, wait, put your hands down, open your eyes, uh, just pay attention for a moment. I said, I don't think I've explained this properly. I'm not a pastor. I have not explained this properly. Here's what you need to know. If you give your life to Christ, your life will become harder, not easier. You'll suffer more. Your parents may disown you. And I re remembered vaguely something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a, a German pastor during the war, who said, when Christ calls a person, he bids that person to come and die. This is going to be really difficult. It's going to make your life worse, not better. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Now, how many of you want to give your lives to Christ? 20 people raised their hands. <laughs> Our church had no youth group. We had an instant youth group that continued. They, they, 
became part of the fellowship. Some of them went into what's called vocational Christian ministry from that night. And as I look back, it was a bad sermon. It was so awkward being in a blue robe. (laughs) But the anointing oil of the Spirit came upon me, came upon us. Something happened that changed lives, that changed directories, trajectories. And the anointing oil of God came upon Evan and has shaped his eternal destiny and trajectory. And so the, the anointing oil of the Spirit can come upon us to make Christ known. The anointing oil of the Holy Spirit can also come upon us to bring comfort to others. One of the words in the Greek that's translated Holy Spirit can also be translated comforter. I was talking to someone who's part of our faith community who's done very well in business. He's given me permission to share this. Not long ago, he found himself at home and experiencing a great deal of personal anxiety, feeling a lot of stress within. And he happened to um, come in contact with the woman who cleans his home, who's originally from the Philippines, a devout follower of Jesus. And he confided in her, she's also a friend, about the anxiety that he was feeling. And she looked at him and said, you have so much more money than I do, but so much less peace. And he said, that was like God's word to me, what I needed to hear. And then I said, will you pray for me? And she prayed for him. And he said, I was filled with God's peace. That woman was given, that person in our community was given something of the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit that can bring comfort through us and also to us. The oil of God's spirit is associated in scripture with healing. In James, we're told if someone is sick among us, anoint them with oil and pray that they would be healed. When Jesus sent out some of his original disciples on their first mission, he said, tell people about me, tell people to turn to God, but also anoint them with oil and pray that they would be healed. Oil, the oil of the spirit is associated with our healing, our wholeness are being comforted. And we need that now. As I've shared with some of you, one of the reasons I believe in God to this day is because of something that happened to me during a very painful time of my life. I had broken up with someone. We had broken up. It was an intense, passionate, romantic relationship that we had been involved in. And in the wake of the breakup, I felt intense pain and sadness and anxiety and depression. It was the lowest point in in my life. And I remember being in my small, dark apartment, not praying, but there were one or two moments when it was like the presence of God came into the room, into my space in such a clear, tangible, sweet, comforting and uplifting way that I just couldn't deny that God was with me. In the wake of my own mother's death a couple of years ago, there was grief, there was mourning, there is grief, there is mourning. But there have also been moments when the Spirit of God has been close and His comfort 
clear. And his presence sustaining. And in this time when we grieve and mourn and experience anger over Evan's death, the anointing oil of the spirit that brings comfort can also be poured out over us. And we can experience the solace and the comfort that we need. Because the anointing oil of the spirit not only empowers us for service to make Christ known, but also brings us comfort and healing. And the anointing oil of the Spirit also even brings us joy. We read in Hebrews that God anointed his son with the oil of joy, even in the midst of a life that was filled with sorrow. As many of you would know, here at 10th, we've had the privilege of walking alongside people who are new to Canada from places like Afghanistan, Ukraine, Iran, Syria. And as I've shared before, some of these uh, folks that are new to our country as refugees have said, when we interact with people from the government, it's clear that they're doing their job in a nine to five sense because they're obliged to do so. This is not meant as a criticism at all, but they're doing their job. We, we feel that. But when we interact with people from 10th Church, it's clear that you're doing what you're doing because of love. And we sense your care and your joy. There's um, one newcomer to Canada in particular that I'm thinking of, whom I will call Samira. She's given me permission to share part of her story. She's been part of our faith community for about eight months, and not long ago, uh, she wanted to serve in our kids' ministry, so she was required to go to the Vancouver Police Department, like all our volunteers are with kids' ministry, to do a criminal records check. And so as she was arriving at the Vancouver Police Department, about to go through the glass doors, she had a flashback of her very first day in Canada, in Vancouver. She remembered going through those same glass doors and meeting, eventually, a young woman behind a glass window at a counter, about her age. And, and, and the young woman sympathized with her but said, I can't do much for you other than give you a blanket and, and send you to the downtown east side of our city to look for a homeless shelter. And so... Samira walks into the Vancouver Police Department through those glass doors. She looks across the room and she sees that the same clerk, that same young woman, is behind the counter and behind the glass. Samira waits her turn and as she's waiting, she, she remembers how after receiving the blanket, the addresses of the homeless shelter, she, she walked out of the Vancouver po Police Department without any friends, without any money, but she did have a phone number on her that was given to her, a contact. She called the number and someone answered who is from our faith community, from 10th Church. She explained that she was going to a homeless shelter and, and the person said, you don't need to go to a homeless shelter. And, and he arranged for her to sleep that night in the home of one of our members here at the church. And then sometime thereafter, she was taken in on a more permanent basis by another family in our church, uh, Matthew and Abigail Lynch's family, with whom she lives to this day. Uh, she was also received like a daughter by another family, 
Ingo and, and Carmen Moxon's family as well. And, and when her turn came uh, to, to go to the counter, uh, she saw this young woman that she had encountered eight months before behind the glass, and, and the, the clerk from the Vancouver Police Department recognized Samira and said, I've been thinking about you now for, for the last number of months. I, I worried about what, what became of you when I sent you out of here to the downtown east side with just a blanket. How are you doing? And Samira was able to share her story as to how she was taken in by a family here at 10th and how she was now volunteering to serve with kids. This probably doesn't happen very often at the Vancouver Police Department, but the clerk started crying, but they were tears of joy, tears of joy for how things had unfolded for Samira. And when the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there is joy not only for service, but that joy can be contagious and reach even a clerk eventually at the Vancouver Police Department. We talked about Evan's tragic death and have alluded to how he was overcome with anxiety and, and depression. But that wasn't the entirety of his story. I know from interacting with him that Evan, as he served children here, also knew moments in the midst of anxiety and depression, of gladness and even joy. Because the anointing oil of the Spirit was and is also upon him. The anointing oil of the Spirit isn't just for kings and priests and prophets in some ancient era. It's also for you and me, daughters and sons of the living God. And as we receive the anointing oil of the Spirit, we receive power to serve. We receive comfort and wholeness and solace and strength. And we are also given joy even as we serve amidst our pain and connect and love others. We know something of the gladness of Jesus and the joy of God. Let's pray together. If you'd like, as we prepare to come to the table, you can pray, Holy Spirit, pour the oil of your spirit over me. As oil was poured over Aaron as he was set aside to serve, pour the oil of your presence over me. Bring me comfort. Bring me healing. Bring me wholeness. Give me strength, and in due time, even give me gladness and joy. That I might live in the fullness of your presence. That I might embrace you with me and me with you. And that I might reflect that to others in this time when so many are hurting. May the oil of God's spirit comfort us, strengthen us, unite us, bind us to God and to each other. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.